We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview another Knicks matchup, this time on Monday night against the Detroit Pistons. We had a, a fun time against all these teams that will be making the playoffs and potentially be playing the Knicks in this upcoming uh, April tournament that uh, we're all hoping the Knicks are healthy for. Uh, and as much as I want to say we get a reprieve against the 8-48 and 48 Detroit Pistons, we uh, have seen the Knicks not only play down to opponents in the past, but recently we've, we've seen the, the Detroit Pistons uh, put scares into some teams. In fact, we're recording this less than 24 hours uh, after the Pistons gave the Orlando Magic, who are 3-0 against the Knicks this year, a bit of a scare. So we'll see how the Knicks do against Evan Fournier and Quentin Grimes and a couple of former Knicks. Uh, come, coming into the garden on Monday night and joining me to talk about this matchup and preview this game from the Detroit pre, uh, Detroit Free Press and co-host of the Pistons Pulse podcast, Mr. Omari Sankofa. Omari, thank you for joining me today. Andrew, thank you so much for having me on. So let's start here. The trade that happened uh, a little over two weeks ago, I guess three weeks ago, uh, that sent Bogey and uh, Alec Burks to the New York Knicks uh, for Quentin Grimes, Evan Fournier, and uh, Ryan Archdiakono, and uh, I believe a couple of second round picks. Uh, What was the mood in the locker room? Because I'll I'll get to some vibes in Detroit, but obviously the Knicks connection we want to focus on first. But the vibe around the franchise that, you know, what after. A little over a year of like what you can get for Bogey, how much mm-hmm. of an asset is Alec Burks? You know, when the trade actually went down, what was the reaction? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because the Pistons had a five game uh, West Coast trip uh, going against the All Star break that took them uh, through, the de- through the deadline as well. Uh, so it was just kind of odd to be in Portland and you go into the locker room and those guys hadn't even come in yet. There's like, I think the Pistons had like eight or nine guys, like, you know, and they're all young. Um, you know, I think for Detroit, um, you have two guys like Alec Burks and Boyan, who, of course, were uh, putting up points here. But at the same time, we're not necessarily moving the needle as far as wins. Uh, it seemed like they were moving them at some point. It just wasn't necessarily clear when that would take place because they had aspirations to be a competitive team this season. And, of course, that did not happen. Um, you know, Troy actually acknowledged uh 
when he talked about the the trades to the media after the deadline that you know if they had moved bogey a year ago they probably would have gotten a bigger return for him uh, but even so to get a guy Quentin Grimes and a couple second round picks um you know I think especially to get a uh, Grimes who I guess if you look at it from a value standpoint of if you get a first round pick and that pick is in the 20 through 30 range, if you got a Quentin Grimes like player with it, you probably feel pretty good, right? So to get a guy in uh, Quentin Grimes who could come in immediately and fill a, a, a void as a perimeter defender, three-point shooter. Uh, he actually just made his debut last night because, of course, he had the right D sprain that had held him out uh, pretty much through all of February until last night. But uh, that was the highlight of the package for them. And, you know, you could probably feel two things at once, right? Like, you know, in hindsight, maybe you make this type of move sooner if you know what the season is going to be. But of course, you don't know that. So, you know, I think they still feel pretty good about what they ended up with. And then with 26 games left, uh, Quentin obviously having some rest to work off. Uh, I think he only shot two for eight last night, but the the defense was still there. The playmaking was there. Um it's just more of an evaluation at this point to, you know, figure out, do you extend quitting this off season or, you know, do you wait to restrict free agency, but they do see him as a long-term piece. So there's two things at play here that I find somewhat fascinating. The first mm-hmm. thing is that like the two trades the Knicks have made, neither team on the opposite end has cared about this upcoming draft. Like the Knicks have two picks coming up in this draft. They have their own pick and they have the Dallas pick left over from the Porzingis trade. And in both cases, the Raptors were like, we prioritize Emmanuel quickly as a future piece. Like give us RJ Barrett. We'll work with him. And like the Knicks didn't have to give up a first round pick in that deal. In fact, the pick they gave up was Detroit's pick that is the second round pick which will probably end up being the 31st pick but like the 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 evaluation of the upcoming draft class has forced the Knicks in these two trades to be able to uh make these types of moves to upgrade their roster but not necessarily you know get rid of their draft capital that they've built up to somewhat of a treasure chest. So that's been fascinating. The Pistons seem to have the exact same evaluation where we heard for years what OG Ananobi would be worth and it's how many picks and it ends up being no firsts. And in the, you know, with the Pistons, it seems like they could have had a similar package if they had gone, uh, pulled the trigger earlier and it ends up being no first. And to the Quentin Grimes of it all, just like the Raptors, the the Pistons seem to have prioritized. Like we'd rather have a guy. Like when I had Bryce on your co-host uh, mm. back a couple months ago, he was like the Pistons seem to have enough like guys they've drafted that they want to take chances on. They're not looking for like future picks to potentially you know take swings in the in the draft. We'd rather have like somebody that's developed like Grimes. Uh, with Cade already in the build, obviously like the, the the cornerstone and what the franchise is building around, and Ivy already in the mix, like where does Grimes factor in? Do they see him as like a potential starter? Does he like a sixth man? Is it just like we have a rotation piece that's part of the solution? Where what's how much of an evaluation is there? Or is that more of like a wait and see as you get him in your in your building? There's some wait and see to that, but I think. They see him as a bona fide rotation player, okay. uh, which, you know, for a team that had uh, two wins coming into the new year and they have eight now, but, you know, you're still essentially competing to not be the worst Pistons team of all time at, at this point. Uh, just getting rotation guys is a win for this squad. Uh, you look at where their team was at the beginning of the year, uh, they really had very little shooting, they had very little 
uh, real playmaking outside of the guard positions, outside of Duran, who's been, uh, you know, pr- pretty solid passing it this year. But they just needed guys who could come in and just hit shots and defend, you know, and that's and that's really it. They didn't really have a lot of true three and D wings on the roster. And I think a lot of the plan was just to hope that guys like Jaden Ivy and, uh, you know, Asar Thompson, Sasser, like they added them in the draft last year, but the guys would come in and develop into some of those roles real quick. But what ended up happening is that you had a roster of guys who could either shoot or defend, but not both. And mm. you were just giving a lot up. So just to get a guy, Quentin Grimes, who, uh, you feel pretty good. He could play next to Cade. He could play next to Ivy. He could play next to Sasser. Um, it's not a whole lot of lineups he doesn't fit in, uh, you know, especially when you have some bigger guards like Caden Ivy and and then Grimes at 6'4". Uh, you really don't have to hide as much. The only situation you would is if you have Sasser out there who's 6'2", 6'3". Uh, but yeah, I mean, Grimes, a career 37.9% shooter, um, you know, you all saw in New York, you know, just how much of a dog he could be on defense. Uh, the Pistons just need you know, bricks to kind of set this foundation, you know, and he's, and he's one of those guys. If he becomes a starter, like by all means, great. But, you know, I think it was just more so let's get some NBA players in the building. Look, I'll say this as someone who obviously saw every minute of his NBA career here in New York, um, the franchise trajectory when he replaced Evan Fournier in the starting rotation was, it just kept going upward last year. And, you know, he, there's some point of attack questions, I guess you could have because he's six four, and I, the evaluation I think one of us had made last year was if he's six eight, six nine, we're talking about him like Paul George, like Kawhi Leonard. Well, not in the sense of like all star or anything yeah. like that, but his defense can be that impactful. But because he's six four, and you're asking him to guard the point of attack. There are some limitations that exist there, but his screen navigation is elite. His his off ball defense, it's it's when him and Manuel quickly would would be on the court together. It was you know it was it's very telling when the Knicks had their best unit uh, defensively on the floor. And even after the trade, seeing when he'd played next to OG, seeing when he'd played next to to Josh Hart, um, you know I understand why the Knicks made the trade, but I I'll I'll definitely be curious to see what he becomes in Detroit and with his career going forward. You mentioned that the the Pistons are are curious or are trying not to uh, become the worst. This year's team is trying not to have the worst record in, in Pistons history. So just like, how are the vibes? Like, I, it's kind of weird to say this because like you said, they, they, they are eight and 48, but they had two wins going into the new year. And it's like a legitimate statement to say they've played better lately. They're five yeah. and 14 in their last 19. Like that is an improvement over the, the, I guess, what was it? Two and 30 or something or three mm. and 33 at one point that they yeah, were, they were, they started off two and 29. Okay. So yeah, in that sense, like how are the vibes? Is there like, okay, it's not, it definitely wasn't that bad. It's bad. Like you tell me like how, how are people evaluating this season so far? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's going maybe from more of a sense of like a helplessness, like when you're mired in a 28 game losing streak and especially the whiplash aspect of it, where Mm -hmm. week one, uh, you go down to the wire with Miami and then you beat Chicago and then you beat Charlotte and you're playing good defense. And it's, oh, like we might actually be decent this year. And then like to lose 28 straight, which, of course, uh, tied the all time record uh, was something that I don't think anybody could really 
prepare for it, plan for it. Like that's obviously not a part of any rebuild plan, but especially when you're in year four and you pinpoint this season as a leap forward and the opposite happens. You, you know, you take a pretty significant step back, uh, you know, even from last year and they only won 17 games last year. So I would say that the vibes now are better uh, just from the standpoint of you're not walking into the locker room and you just feel this palpable, just like, uh, like weight on the players' shoulders, on the coaching staff's shoulders. Like, how do we get out of this rut that we're in? Uh, you're past that. Uh, they actually began to get better in January when they uh, traded Isaiah Livers and Marvin Bagley uh, to the Wizards. And then they got uh, Danilo Gallinari, who they ended up buying out. But then Mike Buscala, uh, who can space the floor. And I think he probably fits Monty's scheme a little bit better. Um, and his roster, too, just as a veteran who you know knows where to be on defense. He's not a great defender, but you know he knows where, where, where to be, does small stuff, and he can, he can knock down threes. Um, they... I think they won like four of nine, uh, something like that, when Wiscala first came in. And that was just, you know, pieces fitting together better. That was a special overlap with Wiseman and and, and and Bagley and Duran. And then you sort of add to that. Now you have Fontecchio, you have Grimes. And uh, the last two weeks have just been so haphazard just with the West Coast swing and all of that. But, you know, I think that there is hope that, you know, once these guys get settled, that you could kind of get back to where you were in January. So the vibes are better. I would say the vibes are more so let's try to finish the season with momentum. Uh, you know, let's see if we can continue this, this, this threat we've been on since the new year where we're competing more, right? Like I know that there was a graphic I saw on social media the other week where, uh, you know, the Bucks and, and Pistons at that point had had the same record in like the last 30 days, which speaks more to how much the Bucks have struggled. But again, I was going to say, <laughs> you know, like yeah. the Bucks aren't historically bad in that stretch. They're just regular bad. And the Pistons are regular bad in that stretch. So, like, that's yeah. not good. But compared to where you were two months ago, it is better. I was going to say, like you said, it's better. It's an improvement. Yeah. If you go from historically bad to just regular bad, that that is a trajectory that is up. So, um, yeah, it, doesn't, your point it, like, it doesn't feel like a win, but it's like, okay, at least we got the monkey off our back so that we can evaluate what to do next, right? I was going to say, avoiding historically bad is sometimes all you need. Like, yeah. as, like I'm sure, I can't believe I, I was about to make a Jets comment. I'm a Jets fan. And I was like, yeah. a couple of years ago, they were... 0-14 through 14 games. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, just avoid being like 0-18 and 0-17 right. and you'll be okay. And I'm realizing I, I had a moment of self-awareness. Oh my gosh, I'm talking to someone from Detroit <laughs> who has the Lions who went 0-16. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, like, that's why yeah. Matthew Stafford ended up in, in Detroit. Um, So, yeah. you know, just avoiding the, the historically bad is sometimes enough. To your point about Mike Muscala, uh, in 165 minutes with the Pistons so far, he is a plus 18, which is the 19th, no, excuse me, 99th percentile according to clean, according to clean the glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those possessions, the Pistons, when he's on the court, are plus 10 uh, on offense, and they have a they're outscoring their opponents by outscoring on offense a plus 10, and then a minus 7.9 on defense. So he's mm-hmm. he's when he's on the floor, they're a pretty good team. But granted, it's a small sample size for sure. But uh, like you said, to your point, getting getting more NBA players in there, or rotation players in there that are, you know, potentially veterans that are could contribute to winning might lead to the uptick in from historically bad to just bad. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I wonder about the wear and tear that can have emotionally, the, the all the losing. Like one thing I noticed during the losing streak was Cade and like the reactions at the end of games where you could see like he just wanted this this losing streak to be over, this this whole thing that like the year three of his career, I'm sure he didn't expect this to be part of the narrative. In your interactions with him in the locker room and covering him this season. You know, how is he how is he taking the fact that like in year three, the the team may be taking a step backwards while he's personally, from what I've seen, taking a step forward. You know, how is how has he really dealt with that? You know, I think there's probably a mix of emotions for Kate. Obviously, not any really positive, just given the state that the team is in right now. But, you know, for him, there's an element of he missed most of last season and now he's back and he's playing at a high level. And, you know, it's probably just some some personal appreciation and just that you're able to resume your career after, you know, the injury he had and, you know, sort of get things back on the pace he was previously. But, you know, of course, that's uh, overshadowed pretty significantly by the fact that the team expected to be better this year. And then, you know, of course, they've taken this big step back. I don't want to say it's been humbling. Like, I don't think they needed to be humbled. Uh, They hadn't won anything. I think they understood, like, we're a young team and we have to, you know, prove that we can win. But, you know, it's, it's probably been like an ice bath or like, you know, just some cold water, right? Like you have all this momentum over the offseason, like new coach, like you bring in new players, uh, you know, you have a, uh, a healthy summer if you're Cade and you're in the gym, like you're doing Rico Hines with Ivy and Duran and the other guys. And it's like, you know, like it's our turn. And then, you know, you come in and you take a step back from last season, which already was not a good season. Um, you know, it's definitely a pretty cold you know, dose of water, right? You know, I think mm-hmm. you probably have a better appreciation for just how competitive the NBA is, especially now. Like, it just seems like the NBA, especially in, in the West, it just seems like the gap between the top teams and um, the mid-tier becomes a little bit smaller every year. And you look at the bottom, and it's really just five teams this year, right? Like, you have the Pistons, you have the Wizards, you have the Spurs, uh, you have the Hornets, and then maybe Portland, uh, you know, who have all just sort of not really been in the mix uh, from the start, but it's five teams in a 30 team league, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I think the Pistons, the spotlight's been on them more because of the 28 game losing streak, but you have the Spurs who have also had a really long losing streak and they're only a game or two better. And uh, the Pistons may not even be the worst team this season, right? So it's, it's interesting because it's like, yeah, this is, this is not a good season. And like we've been, we are realizing that, yeah, we have a long way to go to get to that next step. Uh, but I think with that, 
you know, just to improve over the last six months. And, you know, now it kind of gives you a sense of, okay, now we know what we need to do this off season. Uh, you know, I think the front office has probably much more significant questions to answer, you know, and figure out, but just from a player standpoint, it's, yeah, this sucks. It's terrible. This is terrible, but we're getting better. And maybe that gives you a little bit more, uh, you know, I don't like, I don't want to say drive, but now you understand that, you know, if you're, if you're not past a certain threshold, like you're going to get beat every single night. So there's just a certain baseline you have to hit just to be competitive in today's league now. So you mentioned the, the team has improved their morale in going from like historically bad to, Mm -hmm. to just regular bad. Right. And getting out of helplessness amongst the the team, obviously I'm sure from the front office perspective, just from a franchise perspective, that's good. If I can ask you the temperature of the fan base a bit, um, you know, like you you have like, in my opinion, a big four in Cade and Ivy and Darren and Thompson. Right. Mm -hmm. And obviously a top five pick incoming, the vibes amongst the fan base. If you had to take a take a mood, like it's year one of a new head coach, and everything started off rocky. But as the team has gone from, it's better. Like the vibes are better. Is the fan base like are they running out of patience at all? That this rebuild is taking longer than expected, or is there because there's no weight of expectations? I guess actually that's a that's a follow up question. What were the expectations coming into this year? And now that they are what they are, like what's the vibe amongst the fan base? Yeah, the expectation was just really to take a pretty significant step forward where maybe you could be this year's version of what the Magic were last year, or what the Pacers were last year, where you're still maybe a bad team, quote unquote, but you're mm-hmm. clearly on an upward trajectory and you see a very clear path for the team to be more competitive a season later and maybe push for a play-in or playoff spot, which you know the Magic and Indiana are both in that category now. And they've got guys like Paolo and Tyrese Halliburton who are very obvious up and coming stars. And, you know, you're the Pistons like, Hey, is healthy after missing all but 12 games last year. You know, I think they expected a step forward, you know, whether that's from going to 17 wins to 30, 32, like you expect some sort of measurable progress where at the end of this season, even if you don't make the playoffs, you could say we're right where we need to be. And now we have this cap space. We could go and spin and we feel pretty good that next year we will be a competitive team. So that was the expectation, I think, for the front office and for the fan base. And I would say now that you're sort of like two thirds of the way through the season and, you know, it's just very clear that this is going to be a step back. Like even if you win some more games down the stretch, you're just fighting to get back to the 17 you were at last year. I would say fans are just tired. You know, they're tired. They're weary. It's been a very long rebuild. Like you're in year four of the current iteration, but you even go back before that. Uh, like I turned 30 this year and they haven't won a playoff game since I was in eighth grade. Like that was 2008, oh right? You know, like that was when they they traded Chauncey. Uh, they've had a couple playoff appearances in that stretch, but they have not won a playoff game. Like they've only been swept to the first round. And that's like I've it's just weird now like I've people in my mentions who are like in college right like you know like 19 20 21 years old and I'm like okay well if I turn 30 in a couple of months and they're like 9 10 years younger than me mm-hmm. then they haven't seen a playoff win like they probably cannot remember a playoff win like they're like yeah. 6 or 7 years old when it's happened so uh, you know, for the Pistons to finally do this the right way, like you, you know, you you tank, you get Cade, you get like some top five picks, you get some guys who seem like they have star power and can turn this thing around and only to have the worst season in franchise history and lose 28 straight. Like this is just a complete 
disaster season, uh, probably worse than anybody could have reasonably imagined or predicted. Even the most skeptical Pistons fans probably would not have predicted like historically bad this year. So it's just you know, like it's a pretty bleak place. Like I think people have been uh, sort of fed up with just the state of the, the team for a while. And then this season when all the signs say we're taking a step forward and you take this massive step back, like you know, I think people are at their wits end. So, you know, I don't know what that means for the future. Like, you know, they're still getting good attendance at the games and uh, this and that. But yeah, I think the fans are kind of going through it this season and it's pretty understandable why. I hope, you know, this is coming from a place of, of oh, respect when, when I, when I asked yeah. this, but like, yeah. or more necessarily like a, a, a thing I want to say to Knicks fans watching this, like when you hear that, that a, I'm talking to someone who covers a team and has been following a team that hasn't won a playoff game since 2008. Yeah. And we're, the, the, the things we complain yeah. about are just so small and, and, and very much quibbles. And like, I, I think that perspective I think is necessary sometimes when you you get to the other side of, of a long drought like that, like the Knicks didn't make the second round or made the second round once this century. Um, and it was 2013 with that mellow team. And then last year they made it again. And it was people couldn't understand why we were celebrating the way we were. And, you know, I I can appreciate because of <laughs> just the teams that I root for uh, have all gone through some some dry spells. Uh, like I I empathized and like understood when the Timberwolves reacted the way they did about the play-in game. Like that play-in win, it became a meme, right? When the Lions this this January, like last month, um, I'm not sure how fresh that wound still is, but no, the... It's, it's not even... For me, it's barely even a wound because okay. I never thought that they would go that far. So Well, so yeah. that's... Again, that's perspective. Yeah. Like I watched the when they won against the, the Rams and I understood like, hey, they haven't won a playoff game since I was three years old. Yeah. You know, and this is like the first like I'm going to be 36 this year. So yeah. that that's that's the perspective. I think that that Knicks fans, when we we quibble about Tibbs or Bogey or whoever um, that we're upset with. And my gosh, are they going in on Alec Burks at the moment? He has not looked yeah. the best since joining the Knicks. Uh, I don't know how much of the Knicks you've had a chance to watch or or what the two p- former Pistons have done in Knicks uniforms. But if I could just like hand the show over to you, if you have any thoughts about what the Knicks have done this season with their roster and, and where they, where they rank amongst the hierarchy of the East and you know what these two, two guys may potentially add to their team. I'd, I'd love to hear them. No, absolutely. I mean, I think just, you know, to watch from afar, uh, just the way the Knicks have been able to get this thing back on the right track. Like it wasn't that long ago that people were having questions about, Julius Randle and, you know, his his ability to be the guy and whatnot. And then you have Jalen Brunson who just kind of steps in and, you know, becomes like arguably the best point guard uh, in the Eastern Conference this season or, you know, at the very least, clearly top three. Um, and you just have these, you've stacked moves together that have worked out and, um, you know, like I remember the Carmelo, uh, like Amari Stoudemire Knicks teams, like, you know, I've seen the Knicks put some good teams together, but for them to do it in a much more like, I don't want to say organic just because they didn't draft these guys, but to actually really pull in free agents who weren't necessarily like the cream of the crop guys, but they come in and they surpass expectations. And you look at the roster, you have Def, like you had OG Ananobi. Um, like you just string these moves together and they're a genuinely good team now. Uh, like, I think that's cool to see just from like an outside 
perspective. Um, like personally, my philosophy is always like just to be able to compete year in and year out. You know, I think sometimes fans could take that for granted as you were kind of touching on earlier because uh, it could like it could always be worse. Right. And at the end of the mm-hmm. day, you only have so many teams that are truly elite every year. And it's really tough to break into that category. Uh, and for New York to be like the biggest market in America too, and to have those, 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 those issues, like, you know, I follow a lot of Knicks people on Twitter. I've seen like the Knicks tapes memes and, you know, like this and that, like, I know that things were pretty dire for a while and now they've really put together a really strong, really deep team. Uh, I think yeah. that's been, been cool to see. And Brunson's one of my favorite players to watch because me and him are like pretty much the same height. And I always like watching guys <laughs> who are built like me out there, <laughs> you know, have success. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that's been cool. And I like that they just like stuck with it. You know, like they didn't panic trade Randall, like they stuck with it. Uh, I actually liked at the time when Minnesota traded for Rudy Gobert, even though they gave up so much because it was just like, you have a chance to go for it, you got to go for it. And last year didn't work up and now they're really good. So, um, so with that, like Alec Burks, like just looking at his numbers and like I've seen the Knicks here and there, like it seems like he's pretty much similar to the player he was in Detroit, except the shot isn't falling to the extent that it was. Uh, he only shot 39.4% overall for the Pistons this season, though he did also shoot 40% from three, but he had a pretty significant slump early in the year uh, that he broke out of for maybe four or five weeks before he was traded. And, you know, maybe now he's in a new environment and he's kind of back to that. I mean, I say new environment, but he was in, New York a couple of years ago, so it's not a brand new environment, but, mm-hmm. you know, but he's a guy, like, he, he comes off the bench, or he starts, like, regardless, he's either going to shoot you into the game, or, you know, he's not going to hit shots, but you're figuring some other stuff out, but he's very much like a hot and cold shooter, and there's going to be nights where he wins you the game, there's going to be the nights where it's okay, like, maybe we need to go a different direction tonight, and then Bogey, he's been his usual consistent self, like, he's still shooting the ball really well, like, I see what he's shooting from three, um, you know, that's pretty similar to what he did in Detroit, you know, except he's now uh, much lower in the pecking order in New York, obviously. Like I see he's taken about 11 shots down from 15, but it's in a pretty substantial row. Uh, you know, like those guys were always great here in Detroit. They're always great to us, the media. Uh, like they were awesome to deal with and we do miss them in the locker room. Uh, like you don't really have uh, those guys in the locker room now other than Evan Fournier. And it'll be fun just seeing Knicks fans tweet about them and, uh, you know, see some of the parallels from Pistons Twitter or something's different. But those guys are, you know, like a little bit older and they're in a situation where they can compete now. So at the end of the day, uh, it's probably a better situation for them than what they had here in Detroit. Yeah, I pointed out the last 19 games of Alec Burks, which Mm -hmm. ironically, I went to the point that the, the starting point was the day the Knicks traded RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly for uh, OG Ananobi, which I joked around like that was Burks realizing, oh, there's a job audition to, to be mm-hmm. had. Like I may be able to go back to New York and, and play for, for a team that's going to make the playoffs this year um, where he over those 19 games shot 47 percent from three on seven attempts or six and a half attempts. And like that, I don't need that version to come back completely I need like 85% of that version to come back completely because Mm -hmm. it's there's a very clear drop off defensively from going from Grimes to either Bogey or uh, Burks I'm willing to wait until Ananobi gets back to actually have a full judgment Mm -hmm. on either of these guys because they're supposed to be playing in the second unit and and like taking advantage of backups you know and as a result they um we just haven't seen that version yet and they're somewhat getting exposed. So we'll see. We'll see like if, if the fully realized version of this roster actually shows um, that 
their contributions are what they're meant to be. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Last thing before I let you go, uh, I like to end every every pregame pod with somewhat of a top five, make it somewhat evergreen. We were doing a Mount Rushmore of rivals for the longest time. Um, I actually want to pivot to that. I, I was going to ask you your top five for the MVP, but you being a Detroit native and like I'm assuming you've followed the Pistons your whole life. The, the Mount Rushmore of rivals is like the four teams that you look forward to on the calendar that you consider like, oh, it's Pistons against so and so tonight. Um, and I know Bryce didn't have like the extensive history of the Pistons the last time I mm-hmm. talked to him. So who would you say are like the four teams that Pistons fans still consider? I know it's a eight and forty eight season, so everybody yeah. is kind of their rival. But mm-hmm. overall, as a franchise, who are the four teams you get up for? Yeah, I would say that those rivals for the Pistons and especially Pistons fans are probably more so rooted in like the historical aspect now rather than maybe recent history. Right. Uh, just because right. you know, again, they haven't been good. I would say. Beyond the historical spark, I would say the teams that like fans probably wake up for now. Um, the top of that list is definitely the Houston Rockets, just because they've been sort of on parallel tracks up until this season as far as rebuilding and um you know, like Cade and Jalen Green had a little bit of a rivalry. Uh, you know, and of course the franchises draft those guys and now they draft Amin and Asar. Yeah, the and Thompson Bros, yeah. The Thompson Bros and there's been a, a much bigger gap in those teams this season where Houston's like a lot more respectable and the Pistons haven't gotten to that point. So, you know, I, I think the fervor from Detroit standpoint has not been as strong this season just because you don't really have <laughs> anything you can stand on as far as that, right? Because the other team has yeah. gotten so much better. But, you know, I know that a lot of younger Pistons fans, especially, and I think younger Rockets fans too, they really mm-hmm. are dialed into that rivalry just because of the places those two teams were in and um you know and the young guys that the fan base has covered it to different extents uh, historically i would say the bulls always still have a little bit of a, a air to them uh when they play the the pistons just going i mean obviously michael jordan and you know yeah boys and whatnot like you know i you know i grew up like my parents were bad boys fans and you always heard all the stories about just you know the hate for chicago and this and that so that probably tops the list in my mind uh i would put you know, it's probably more one-sided, you know, right now, but I'll put the Lakers in that category again, just from like the historical standpoint, you know, the Pistons beat the Lakers in 2004 and you had the sort of big market versus homegrown small market, you know, vibes in that matchup. And obviously the Pistons pull off the upset. So uh, there's still a lot of emotion toward the Lakers, I would say at this point, uh, the list probably stops there. Like it's, it's more so historical. And then also just, you know, I think Pistons Rockets, which was generated, 
largely by memes, you know, to be honest, being <laughs> people <laughs> bickering on social media, but like that still counts. But if I had to think of a fourth team, I really can't just because there just hasn't been the type of competition for the Pistons. Cleveland was probably in that category at one point because of mm, LeBron, LeBron, yeah. Uh, you know, like those those battles they had, uh, you know, in the mid to late 2000s and so uh, the Celtics don't don't get mentioned. I know that there's there's the Isaiah Larry stuff from the 80s and then yeah. like uh, you mentioned 2008 the last competitive Pistons playoff series was mm-hmm. that conference finals, right? I would say, like, I would put the Celtics, like, they're definitely up there. Maybe they're the fourth team. It's just that the Pistons and Celtics outside of when they met in the Eastern Conference Finals in 2008, uh, which obviously that was the Celtics championship year. So they kind of knocked out uh, the last year of that uh, court at the Pistons side with Chauncey and Rip and all those guys. Uh, Beyond that, like, in my lifetime, there have not really been any real... Pistons Celtics battles that I can think of except that one. So I think from a historical standpoint, like especially when I talk to uh, you know, like older Pistons fans who were around for Larry and like that era, mm-hmm. they still sort of hold that in their hearts. But the Lakers got renewed because of 2004 and you know, the Bulls are in the same division. So you're just playing a lot more and the Celtics just in recent history, I've not really had those types of games. So I think it's directly, they're probably still in that category, but there just hasn't been as much to fuel it as some of the other, the other teams. I know I'm keeping you long, but I have one last question yeah. if it's okay. Cause as like a Pistons historian, the Oh four team gets brought up so much when we talk to like our fan base and we, we like Nick's film school people that are like, Hey, remember the Oh four Pistons? They didn't have a superstar. They did it with depth. They did it with teamwork. They did it with, and like, do you take pride in that? That people look at that team as like the example, every time you're, you're clearly at a talent deficiency and you're going up against another team, but like, hey, we could be the O four Pistons, or is that like, is that at all disrespectful that that team that's now going to end up with a bunch of Hall of Famers on it, you know, like, like they they went out and won, like that team was should be respected. Well, it's a six straight conference finals. We should we should look at them in a different light, you know. Mm-hmm. No, I don't see it as disrespectful. Okay. You know, I think for a lot of fans um, at the the time, like you had kids in Detroit, like Michigan, like wearing like Ben Wallace, like afros at the time. And like Ben Wallace was on the cover, I think, of uh, 2K. I can't remember if it was 2K or NBA Live, but Ben Wallace had a level of... It was 2K. Of, it was 2K. Was 2K uh, you know what? I'm going to look that up because I had both. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 2005. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can't remember if it was Live or, or, or 2K. Uh, but that team sort of hit, like, a cult popularity that you don't see teams like that hit often uh, just for them to not necessarily have a true quote-unquote superstar. Like you look back now and it's like, yeah, Ben Wallace is one of the greatest little defensive players ever. And um, like all the guys they had in that group, like, you know, Chauncey Rip, like you had a team for the two-way players, uh, you know, Tayshaun probably being a prototype of the, the type of wing that uh, teams like now who could play make and knock down threes and whatnot. Uh, you know, I think the way that the popularity of that team has endured, uh, not just in Detroit, but like nationally as well, has been really cool to see uh, just that fan basis. Um continue to hold on to that 2004 Pistons team as like that that beacon of hope that you know their squad could pull off something similar and I think with that just the fact that that type of upset has not really been pulled off since you know I think has also kept the 04 Pistons sort of in the forefront of the like rings discussion and maybe setting expectations for certain teams the biggest difference now is just that that was just a completely different era 
of basketball. You know, like they were mm-hmm. holding teams below 65 points a game. And that's just absolutely like what's the equivalent now? Like you hold a team below, like if you hold a team below, like, you know, 60 through midway through the third quarter, like that's a <laughs> accomplishment now. Uh, yeah. you know, so I don't know if you can necessarily replicate the way that that team won now, just because the league, I think, is so much more deep and talented and you just can't defend the way you used to back then, uh, you know, and teams are taking 43s a night. Like, it's just, you know, the math and geometry has changed so much that I don't know if you can replicate that. But uh, yeah, just as a Detroiter, like I was 10 years old when they won that championship. And like, I think that was the team that for people around my age, like, like that's the reason why you're a basketball fan is because of that mm. 2004 Pistons team. And like, it's just been cool to see how they've endured like two decades later, like you still have fans like evoking them as the the benchmark they want to get to. Uh, like, I think that's pretty cool. And I think it says a lot about that team's legacy. I'll just personally say like that, that's the team that Knicks fans go to a lot. That, yeah. Like we, like Jalen Brunson, like you said, is getting the respect this year and is taking a leap. But last year, the 04 Pistons got brought up a ton, especially mm-hmm. the second half of the year after they traded for Josh Hart. And it's like, yeah, we don't have a superstar, whatever. Like, O four Pistons didn't have a superstar and they like won the title. Like, why can't you just have like a really good starting five with no weaknesses? Right? Can't you have like a nine man rotation that's better than anybody else's best nine? Uh, we then saw that the Miami Heat were going to be the thorn in everybody's side that year, which you know, unfortunately, uh, I don't know. Pistons fans don't have to worry about this at the moment, but it is very annoying to be afraid of a, a team that just takes. Two thirds of the season off, and it's now like, oh yeah, we're <laughs> we're in, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll come and be yeah. the boogeyman. It was two K, it was two two thousand five to yeah. the NBA two K because Carmelo Anthony was on the cover in of NBA Live in two thousand five. So okay. we were we were our instincts were right that it was two K and not yeah. NBA Live. Both both fun games, I will say. From shout out to my childhood, um, oh, no. yeah. So um, well. Uh, Amari, thank you so much for joining me on this. I know I kept you a little bit longer than I intended, but I I really enjoyed our conversation. Before you get out of here, please let the fine folks at home know where they can find you and all your stuff. No, I mean, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Uh, You could find me on Twitter, just first and last name, Omari Sankofa. Uh, You can find my work at the Detroit Free Press, which is freep.com. And of course, me and Bryce Simon have our pod over at the Pistons Post. I'm just showing my hoodie real quick. Hey, Pistons Post, yeah. Bryce is so, good people. Bryce is Bryce is awesome. And we release episodes once a week, schedule dependent. I, I don't think we're going to drop till Wednesday this week, but uh, we take a more analytical approach to breaking down uh, the Pistons and we have a lot, a lot of fun. So come join us over there if you have any interest in a, <laughs> an 8 and 48 basketball team. Uh, listen, but solid analysis of a eight and forty-eight basketball team. One of our X's and O's experts, maybe a month or so ago, um, he had been locked into the Pistons. I can't explain why, <laughs> but he called them. Uh, he was saying like the Pistons could catch the Wizards, which they might actually. I think the Wizards are worse. Yeah. But he had been saying like he was singing the praises of the Wizards and uh, of of the Pistons. Mm-hmm. And the counter from his co-host at the time was like the counters that they're three and thirty-three. And the, he responded, well, it's a, it's a positive three and 33. And that's become a running joke that the, they're a positive three and 33. <laughs> but lo and behold, Benji gets to be right because they're five and 14 since that three and 33. Exactly. Stretch. So yeah. they are actually a positive. If you go from where they started or from where we were, the other end point was uh, eight and 48 at the moment. And I'm hopefully so jokes on them, right? Like you're three and 33 and now you're jokes on us. There you go. You know, they're again, they're better. They're going from historically bad. 
to regular bad. They're, they're, it's, exactly. It steps forward, regardless yeah, of where up. the step came from. If it was <laughs> completely off the staircase completely, it's a step forward. So. It's a step forward. Exactly. exactly. Uh, Amari, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. We do this uh, every, before every basketball game. So if you're joining for the first time, please uh, remember to like and subscribe. Um, if you're uh, watching this on YouTube, at least like and subscribe. If you're listening on the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and a review. I will be back tomorrow before the uh, New Orleans Pelicans game to preview that game as well. But until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Enjoy the game tonight, and I'll speak with you soon. Peace. Peace.